the Environmental Protection Agency, the ultimate example of non-accountability. Today and more on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. Interested in a particular topic that you want us to cover? If so, email us at admin at kingdompatriot.us. That's admin at kingdompatriot.us. We'd love to hear from you today. Welcome to this week's News and Review. AOC. She definitely highlights our humor segment. She and 16 other House Democrats were arrested during a July 19 rally outside the Supreme Court to protest the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, the U.S. Capitol Police said the arrests were in connection with crowding or obstructing and not being accommodating after the, the protesters continued to block the street. As AOC was escorted from the premises, she had her hands crossed behind her back and to every casual observer was handcuffed. Until she eventually, of course, did a fist bump with her arm in the air. Her excuse was she did that because she didn't want to appear that she was resisting arrest. Really? You suddenly have become a law-abiding citizen? It is sad the mileage this lady gets with the photo ops. You realize she won the New York primary, Democratic primary in 2018, with less than 17,000 votes? Yep, that means less than 20,000 people are putting 330 million Americans through this horror show. Thanks, New York. This week also, President Biden said he's taking executive action to battle climate change. Why? Well, because apparently Joe Manchin is balking at some of the crazy talk in Congress. And in order to get around the Republicans who likely would filibuster, Joe is using the Obama method. I have a pen, and I have a phone. It sounds like he's declaring climate change as a national emergency, giving him certain powers to act. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Uh, maybe like COVID and the lockdowns? More to come on this, but this administration's assault on the idea of separation of powers and co-equal branches of government is almost laughable, if it wasn't so sad, but certainly expected. Justice Kavanaugh can't seem to get out of the news. His neighbors are fed up with abortion protesters as they say that they are being targeted and their kids, and they're being yelled at as Karens and fascists. In fact, some of the families in the neighborhood said that the protesters are using megaphones chanting F-U, F-U. You know, it's one thing to protest an abortion clinic or the Supreme Court or Congress, but when you protest someone's house and their family, that's a whole different ballgame. That should be illegal. Oh, oh, wait, it is, actually. You can't protest a Supreme Court judge trying to influence case decisions. Where the heck is law enforcement? And of course, another administration official, Pete Buttigieg, in typical liberal fashion, is a staunch defender of free speech. Of course, if it's an issue he agrees with. And he says that public figures should expect protests, and it's okay if it's peaceful because free speech must be protected. Unless, of course, you're a conservative Christian. Let's go to Disney. They can't seem to get out of the news either. Disney's fairy godmothers gets a woke, gender-neutral makeover. I'm not even going to read this story. This company portrays itself as wonderful for children and families. Folks, this company may be one of the most progressive, most liberal, most aggressive attacker of traditional values. Walt would have a heart attack if he was alive today. I know they have Marvel and Star Wars and a host of other cool characters, 
but they are aggressively woke to the core. You must cancel your Disney Plus membership now. The only thing they're going to respond to is massive subscriber cancellation. There's a new poll out this week in Iowa. 67% of the folks say that Biden should be a one-term president, should not even run for re-election. Folks, that's bad. In the same poll, even among Democrats, only 37% think he should even run again. Folks, that's real bad. His overall approval rating is at 27%. Folks, that is historically bad. Every time I think Biden's hit rock bottom, he just continues to dig. His presidency is starting to make the Titanic look like a success story. There's also speculation that Lord Fauci might be retiring. He says he plans to retire by the end of Biden's first term. Folks, that's not fast enough for me, and you know me, I'm cynical. Why would he announce this? Maybe so he can retire in enough time to get a pardon from future criminal prosecution? Folks, every day this man is still in position is another day of disappointment. Speaking of disappointment, how about Nancy Pelosi and her husband? Yep, they're in the news. Nancy Pelosi should never be allowed to use the term crony capitalism ever again, since her husband is front and center, case in point. Yeah, he made an estimated $5 million in stock purchase in NVIDIA, which is a semiconductor chip company. Seems innocent enough until you realize that Congress is voting on giving the chip industry $52 billion in subsidy funding, in which NVIDIA will directly benefit. So there's two problems, and the first is obvious, insider trading by politicians. Others go to jail for this kind of thing. But in Congress, you just get bad press for a week, and then it fades into oblivion. But the second, less obvious problem, why is Congress giving $52 billion of our tax dollars to private companies in the semiconductor industry in the first place? And in New York news, Lee Zeldin has been attacked. Lee Zeldin is the Republican gubernatorial candidate in New York. And if we were to use the January 6th Trump standard, Kathy Hochul, the Democratic governor of New York, would be guilty of association and forced to resign from her office. Why do you say? Because she made sure that the public knew about every campaign stop and locations of her opponent, Lee Zeldin. And she called him radical and dangerous. Well, what happens? Zeldin's at a stop just a couple hours later, and he's attacked by someone in the audience with a, some sort of knife type of weapon. Now, the man was tackled and ultimately arrested, but then, of course, in a way that only New York can do, was released the same day without even paying bail. Yep, welcome to the leftist utopia. Thanks again, New York. For this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. Okay, welcome back, Sean. Thanks for co-hosting today on this very important topic. Seems like I say that every week, very important topic. <laughs> there are lots of important topics, and yeah, this is a big one. Yeah, it is a big one. Well, as you remember... Um, the Supreme Court just ruled against the EPA in the case of West Virginia versus the EPA. But I thought it was worthwhile for us to dig a little deeper into understanding what the EPA is, how large they are, where they derive their power from, etc. Sean, shall we jump in? Dude, it's a very significant case because it is going to have so much impact on so many agencies. So I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. All right. Well, let's just start with first a little bit of history. The EPA actually was first proposed in July of 1970, and it was officially created by Richard Nixon via executive order. But then in 1970, it actually became official as Congress um, approved this agency. So this agency now today has been around for almost 52 years. But back in 1971, it had 5,800 employees and a budget of $1.4 Now, you might say to yourself, they went out and hired 5,800 employees? No, actually, they didn't. 
what the EPA was, it was really a consolidation of many existing environmental departments and programs that were already within the federal government. Here's just to name some of them, the National Air Pollution Control Administration, Environmental Control Administration's Bureau of Solid Waste Management, Bureau of Water Hygiene, and part of its Bureau of Radiological Health. It also absorbed the Federal Water Quality Administration. The Federal Radiation Council was also merged in. The pesticide programs were transferred from the Department of Interior into the EPA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the Agricultural Research Service. And there were other functions, maybe not entire departments, but functions that were transferred in from the Council on Environmental Quality and Atomic Energy Commission. That's a lot of agencies that already existed prior to this. That's where you get all of those employees from. What the creation of the EPA did is it really consolidated those all under one umbrella. And unfortunately, in my opinion, really consolidated power. But initially, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute when we get into the Supreme Court ruling, but initially the EPA was really designed to set standards. But quickly, Congress started delegating authority to the EPA. But before I go any farther, I want to let that last statement sink in, Sean. Congress delegated authority to the EPA. Does that cause you any concern? It certainly does now. It's understandable to me that they did back in the 70s because we used to watch these films like eh, maybe once a month or so when I was in, in uh, elementary school. And we would see all the pollution in like, say, L.A. and places, uh, you know, big industrial cities, maybe in Ohio and Pennsylvania. And the smog was so thick that it was like a landscape in the sky. And then not only did you have air pollution, which was really obvious. I mean, you didn't have to like, is that air pollution? No, it was so thick you couldn't miss it. We also had water pollution. I mean, we had pollution of all kinds. And there were lots of companies, they just threw their stuff away. They dumped it in the rivers. They, you know, the smokestacks into the sky. There was a lot of stuff going on. And it does make sense that in the beginning, you might give them some authority because they're the ones who are directly dealing with these companies and releasing all of this pollution. It does make sense in the beginning, but what it became and where we are now is a completely different story. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make because even here at the Kingdom Patriot Group, even though we always side on, on smaller government, limited government, we believe that's consistent with the Founding Fathers, we are not, by any stretch of imagination in this podcast, saying we are against protecting the environment. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. We absolutely want our environment to be protected. But that has to be balanced with the intent of our founding fathers, limited government, and so forth. So let's look at a couple things the EPA actually did. So in 1970, they were formed. Quickly, in 1972, they passed the Clean Water Act, and then in 1974, the Safe Drinking Water Act. And I could go through, there's probably 30 or 40 different acts that were that the EPA introduced or was given authority by Congress to regulate between its original formation in 1970 all the way to modern day. But just to give you an idea how fast this grew, in 1979, so only nine years later, those 5,800 employees became 13,000 employees with a $5.4 billion budget. If you remember, the original budget was less than $2 billion. Even as you fast forward to modern day, President Trump tried to reduce the agency's budget by 31% to just get it down to $5.7 billion because in 2000, I believe it was 16, the budget was actually $8.1 billion. 
This was rejected by Congress, which is interesting when you see the dynamics play back and forth between the legislative branch and the judicial branch, or excuse me, legislative branch and the executive branch, is even though this branch is under the, or excuse me, the agency is under the executive branch, Congress still funds it, and it's still delegated by Congress in order to regulate certain laws. So Congress definitely still has some authority here, specifically in regards to the purse strings. But ultimately, it was rejected by Congress, so Trump was unable to shrink the size. And also, one thing I noticed, too, when I researched, this agency seems to have really waffled back and forth under many controversies, significant policy changes, and it was heavily dependent on the bent of the administration at the time and ultimately who was appointed to run the agency. So when you had someone like Obama, who was really advancing climate change as as a narrative, this agency grossly expanded its power. And then we see somebody like Trump or even Reagan, they tried to really scale back the power because they really were balancing this against limited government. So I think it's really important to see that that these two dynamics were occurring all the time, sort of almost infighting within the agency. But Sean, out of all of this, it's a government agency. Yes, it's it's kind of out of control. We'll talk about a little bit more about that. Here's what's really hot on my concern list. In 1988, Congress granted the EPA. Now, remember, they've already granted the EPA with regulatory authority. In 1988, they granted the EPA with full law enforcement power. Let me say that again. In 1988, Congress gave the EPA full law enforcement power. Their power is listed, and I'm going to quote directly from their website. It says this, we enforce the nation's laws by investigating cases, collecting evidence, conducting forensic analysis, and providing legal guidance to assist with prosecutions. Well, how do they do that? Well, did you know, Sean, that the EPA has 350 specially trained agents with full law enforcement authority? And by that, I mean they carry guns, they carry badges, they have fully the ability to arrest people, and they can execute search warrants. Let that sink in for a minute. What, what thoughts come to your mind when you hear that, Sean? Wow, what a great big mistake. That's crazy. That is just crazy. I think this is why people have pushed back against the MPA, because they're saying that this agency is unaccountable to anyone. When you have the ability to create regulation beyond even what Congress designed, and then you have the ability to enforce it from a law enforcement perspective, you're really not accountable to anybody. Well, and then when you add in the fact that they are uh, they are sensitive to the inklings, the inclinations, the whims of the administration currently in power, wow, yeah. You've got some wild inconsistencies taking place under certain administrations. Not cool. Not cool at all. Well, in light of the Supreme Court's ruling, let's take a brief moment to understand how the court views this agency's authority when we return. In order to expand our audience to like-minded believers and patriots, you have to tell them about us. Well, how do you tell them about us? I'm glad you asked. At this moment, there are three things that you can do. You can smash that like button, give us a five-star rating, tell your friends and family, your neighbors, and share on your social media networks. Thank you so much. Okay, Chris, it looks to me like the original purpose of the EPA was to set standards and regulations to protect the air and the water from toxic chemicals. So did I get that right? 
that, I mean, that's how I read it. It was really, you know, you, you touched on this pollution that was occurring in the seventies, you know, formaldehyde things, mercury being dumped in the water, these things that are known to be harmful chemicals in both water or air to human beings. The EPA was designed to regulate, make sure those things didn't happen. And the idea of regulating climate change, which as you and I know, is now a big part of what the EPA does, was not in their original scope, has only come about because of the expansive nature of government and the fact that a court ruling, in essence, gave this power to the EPA. So let me get this straight. The EPA is now involved in any substance that affects climate change, regardless of whether it is toxic or not. That's correct. And when you think about what affects climate change, carbon dioxide, oxygen, these are naturally occurring things. And yet the EPA is heavily involved now. Just disgusting. Okay. So what happened with this case, West Virginia versus EPA? So in essence, Sean, this case is really at the center of what I call the delegated authority idea. While you and I would would vehemently disagree with the EPA that they should have the enforcement power that they do. Congress nonetheless gave it to them. Whether or not you or I feel like it was right, I think it was wrong, but that's what they did. So in this case, for instance, the EPA, rather than just regulating standards for clean air and water, said that electricity from coal plants, which was 38% in 2014, would be done, it's really called generational shifting, to 27% by 2030. And what those are some numbers just thrown out there. What they're really saying is, hey, in 2014, 38% of all electricity came from coal. That was its source. By 2030, we're going to make sure that only 27%. So that's really like saying a little bit over a third of the nation's electricity came from coal plants. But by 2030, we're going to make sure only about a fourth of electricity comes from coal plants. The regulations that the EPA was going to use to make this uh, occur to to impose this were so strict, it was going to result in the closing of dozens of coal plants, impose billions of incremental dollars of cost for compliance, and ultimately result in more than 10,000 jobs being lost in our nation. So the Supreme Court took a look at this and said, look, based on our view, this is my lay, lay interpretation of Robert's opinion, Ultimately, it is not likely that Congress really ever intended the EPA to reduce emissions on this generation shifting approach. In other words, to to totally transform an industry, not regulate standards within the industry, but actually change and reduce and make these kind of changes. In fact, the opinion actually said that they did not believe that Congress wanted to delegate decisions of such economic and political significance. And typically, I know the conservative side of the court has said on multiple occasions that they expect Congress, if they want to delegate, to be explicit about it. So, Sean, my concern is just like all government agencies. A lot, I got a couple of Reagan quotes here. You know, I love Reagan. He once said that a government agency is like a little baby. It has an insatiable appetite on one end and no sense of responsibility on the other. It's this idea that agencies have an unending quest for power not delegated to them by Congress. Reagan also said that the nearest thing to attorney on earth is another government program. This is so true. So, Sean, as I kind of run through that and you see the history of the EPA and the power they've accumulated, does this give you additional pause for concern? <laughs> yeah, it does. Both coming and going. First of all, those are amazing quotes by President Ronald Reagan. Kudos. It does give me cause for concern. There is the ability with each of the administrations to go back and forth. 
we can go in one direction with one administration and then whiplash, flip back to the next. It makes it very difficult for large companies, especially, to make plans for the future when it comes to investments in power grids and things of that nature. If we've got the EPA going in one direction for four years and then five years later, you've got it going in another direction. And then, yeah, it's crazy. And I do think Congress needs to take back control of what they're supposed to do. So I, I totally agree with that. In fact, one of the things that really just comes out to me that sticks out is this idea that if Congress is delegating this kind of authority to an agency of this size and power, then as it does change with the whim of each administration, it is changing by the hands of people who are not elected. And I would expect that Congress steps up to the plate. They step up to the plate, put on their man pants, and that they take care, that they set these, some of these standards so that we can hold them accountable. Right. The problem is that Congress has gotten lazy in the past 20 years, and they like other people doing their job while they just sit fancy, shoot their mouths off on television, and collect a nice paycheck. Yeah, that is for sure. So, Sean, I was going to ask you, do you think the Supreme Court got it right? But what I'm hearing from you, I don't even need to ask that. Of course, we think the Supreme Court got this right. They recognize the limited role of agencies without delegated authority from Congress. Yeah, I think it's like the old adage is two birds with one stone. In this case, they got the whole flock. <laughs> yeah, well, it was an accurate throw. So let's jump into the faith perspective. You know, how does faith play into this, the EPA? What is it that comes to my mind? Well, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. The first one is in Romans, where we are called to obey those in authority over us. In fact, I think scripture is pretty clear. It's a pretty strong command that if we want the Lord to bless us, that we need to obey those in authority over us. But here is where I struggle a little bit. What happens when we're called to obey someone who seems to be an authority over us, but actually is doing it illegally because they never were given such authority in the first place. So I think of a business that's trying to obey the EPA or questioning whether they should when they know that the EPA has overstepped its bounds. Now, I understand this is a, this is a slippery slope for sure. If you've got millions of people making their own determinations of whether or not a government agency has authority, but nonetheless, it's something that I'm wrestling with. And so, and maybe another example is what if OSHA comes out and institutes a vaccine mandate? Um, we know they don't have the legal authority to do so now that the Supreme Court's already ruled on it, but maybe they come out with a, a new version and they do it anyway. So what do I do? Do I obey that because I'm in authority under those or under the government? Or do I recognize the fact that Supreme Court and the Constitution both prohibit OSHA from doing what they're doing? without specific authority to do so. So I'm really not under that authority. I only share that because for at least when you're talking about from, from my own personal faith, those are things I'm wrestling with. When you think about faith and how the, the EPA and this whole conversation about the EPA uh, plays into faith, what comes to your mind? A couple of things, really. One is one of the things that, that we are seeing in our society, especially in America over the past six or seven months, is individual citizens are finally standing up and they're pushing back. They're saying, we've had enough. We've crossed the line. We're not going to put up with it anymore. You work for us. So you need to get your little panties pulled out of your backside, straighten things up, and start flying right. So citizens are standing up and calling 
politicians and leaders on the carpet for their crap. And that's exactly what we need to do. And in many cases, all it takes is one or two people to stand up and say the key thing and they will back down because they know they don't have a legal leg to stand on. You know, those are some practical things as citizens. But there was a conversation that we had earlier where you specifically talked about the religious nature of the EPA and really environmentalism. I'm really interested for our audience to hear what you had to say about that. Yeah, well, unfortunately, when you're dealing with the EPA, you're dealing with a lot of folks that are very much involved in environmentalism. And unfortunately, environmentalism has become a cult. They worship the earth. It is not anything. It doesn't take much to, you know, find a poster, find a billboard, see something on television, some article where people make the statement, uh, we need to save the earth. We've got to save the planet. It's up to us. Those are signs of environmentalism. That's the sign of the cult. Mm. And it's another form of humanism running rampant. It's like in Christianity, you've got a number of different denominations. In humanism, one of the denominations is environmentalism. And it's running rampant in this space. And you constantly hear them saying, it's up to us, it's up to us, it's up to us. The key is there's a thread running all through this, through the EPA, through environmentalism. One world government is gaining momentum. And one of the pathways is a universal approach to environmental protection. And that will help pull together all the countries on the planet, a backdoor approach to a one world government. And that is not going to be cool. That is not cool at all. And I totally agree with you. I see that as a very dangerous pathway that it could occur. So, you know, one of the things that's also interesting to me is, you know, we make these clean distinctions of faith and politics and commerce, but sometimes they're really interwoven. And I find that particularly in this case with EPA and the environment, when we talk about the politics, that there's like you said, there's still the spiritual component and they're sort of intertwined. And I'm just going to give an example. There's just robust conversation around this in conservatives and liberals in the political arena. One thing that comes to the surface in those conversations is the idea that we must be allowed, we have to say, for example, the river smelt in California at all costs, even if it destroys farmers' crops. We've got to save the whales on the beaches and the porpoises from the nets. We have to save the environment, no matter what the economic cost. There is no cost too great. But oh, by the way, it's okay to kill a baby in the womb because we're going to call that choice. These are political positions. We've seen that in Roe v. Wade. We've seen it in all these conversations. But they seem so contradictory and really incompatible with one another. At least they do to me. And it's like we've turned the value of life completely upside down on its head. Save the trees, save the wells, kill the babes. Would you like to add to that, Sean? <laughs> I really think that you kind of nailed that. I mean, one of the things that humanism does is it makes things political. So we've got the spiritual aspect bleeding into the political. And I think what you just said nailed it. Well, I appreciate that. Well, when you think about the commerce perspective, you don't have to look very far to see the impact on entire industries. Some, some of those impacts are good and some of those are concerning. But again, as we said before, I'm not against the EPA. I'm not against regulating and making sure we don't have toxic pollution occurring in our waterways and in our air. 
I'd never support the unfettered destruction of our environment. In fact, even as a child, my dad would always tell me that his greatest legacy that he could leave to both his children and his grandchildren is a love of God and a love of the outdoors. That's what was important to him. And as part of the love of outdoors, we're taught to take care of the environment around us. But when you have a group of environmentalist fanatics who have made a religion, or in your case, when you mentioned a cult, of placing the environment even above the life of a human being, you're going to end up with policies that will destroy our country and our economy. So, you know, as we kind of touch on those, the EPA is not all evil. In fact, I would say most government agencies are agnostic. It's the people that are running them. It's the accountability that exists that determines whether or not they can be a help or they, they can be destructive. Any closing thoughts before we go? When it comes to the subject of the environment, you can talk to a conservative all day long about pollution. Okay. We can see when the air is polluted. We can see when the water is polluted. It affects our health. It affects the life of animals. It affects farm animals. It affects wildlife. We don't want that happening. But when you start getting into all this environmental stuff and then you start rising, raising your concern above the concern of humans, something is going wrong there and not cool. Not cool at all. Well, Sean, I really appreciate those comments. I really appreciate uh, you being part of the discussion today. Folks, that's all we have for this, uh, this episode. Hopefully, you've got a little bit better understanding of the oranges of the EPA, its size, its scope, and the authority that it has. A lot of people don't realize how powerful of an agency they are. And a close cousin of this, just to whet your appetite, there's going to be some time in the near future where we talk about the latest humanistic religion, ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance. It's really invading the commercial sphere is what I like to call it. It's really the commercial weaponized version of the EPA. And it's very dangerous. We're going to talk more about this in the future. Till next time. Go Elon. Also, don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. (music) 